And now, it's time for that great new game show. It's the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell Podcast. Something new, something revolutionary. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I am participant Jordan with Ultra Megastar Andrew Plaw uh, hosting the show. And today we have special guest Gail Colas, who is, I'm going to say, uh, an expert at conventions at this point. You seem qu- quite uh, present in these. Active, yes. Expert <laughs> is always, in some areas, maybe. Let's put it like this. So not, so, not the whole PowerShell thing. There's much bigger experts. So I knew you were a big deal when we attended your uh, talk at Summit this year and your information about the speaker. First name only, just just Gail. There's, I couldn't find your last name at all. My my write up about your talk, it just says Gail in there because I couldn't find your last name anywhere. Well, actually, my my handle usually is Gail Collas, so first name, last name in one world, and then you can find me on Twitter and uh, GitHub, everything. I try to keep it consistent. Now we mentioned you being a pretty uh, common attendee of conferences and running them and all kinds of stuff. Did you initially, like your participation in tech conferences and speaking at user groups and stuff, did that occur through PowerShell or were you already active in that kind of capacity before getting introduced to the PowerShell community? No, that was really with the PowerShell community that I started. Uh, And it was PowerShell Summit Europe back in 2014, I think the first one, Uh, at least the first one I attended. And that was in um, I can't remember. Yeah, the first one was in Amsterdam, and then the second one was in Stockholm, if I remember correctly. So that's the first two conferences I've been to, and then from there, I just couldn't stop. So I just kept going, and then I went to the US, and obviously PSConf U after that. So you've been in in the game for a while now. Got to kind of experience a, a few different trends. Yes. Well, I got addicted to PowerShell, and then I as soon as you open the door to the community and then you're just blown away you've got this you know meeting the people and then and just like everyone sharing what they've learned uh, discovering new things that you can do with the things that you believe that you can you know get by no that was amazing so then i just wanted to see again the community and then i kept going and kept trying to go to different events uh, powershell conference asia powershell uh, summit north america so yeah I, i've tried i've tried to go wherever i could what were you doing with your professional career at the time of getting exposed to PowerShell and kind of taking it and running with it? Yes. Yeah, so I started, um, I was doing a computer science degree, uh, kind of boring, but uh, I knew quite early I wanted to do IT. And then I was more in the network side of things at the very beginning. And um, very quickly, I shifted to more like a system administrator. And then I went to first in the Unix world a little bit, and then went into Windows world. And I just can't uh, click. And I really don't like the clicking things. Maybe that's because I did mostly uh, networking and Unix before. So then I just wanted to have another way of doing it. And VBS was definitely not an option for me. So uh, when I've seen this PowerShell thing, I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. So I just wanted to dive into that, and and it clicked straight away. So really liked it. That's a a common thing I hear for VBS is it was 
widely used, but I never heard anyone that was excited to be using it the way we get with PowerShell. Yes. Yes, it was. I don't know. So it, it would, you know, it was doing the job, uh, but it was not a nice experience. And I think none of the experience was nice. Like you could do some things, but it would really be a bit hacky. And then you would like, no one would spend that much time to do nice things with it. They would just get the job done as quickly as possible. And usually it's dirty and you don't want to have, you know, a thousand lines to manage because it's just too hard to maintain. Not something you really want to spend your, your time with. And how did you go from kind of learning PowerShell? Oh, wow, this is super cool. Then you discover that there are user groups in this whole community. When do you start taking the step from reading these blogs to maybe starting your own or speaking at conference or at user groups or whatever? When do you make that change? Well, I didn't start with the blogs and things. I really went for the books first. Um, I I got some some books and then like, you know, by discovering the books, it's like, oh, I have these books I really like. And then I realized that was Don Jones, you know, writing it. And then I realized that, oh, that's the guy I saw at that conference. So it was really um, by getting to know the people that you start to know what's happening and how to connect with that community. Uh, when you have um, people that you can really exchange and then you just try, you know, before you would just say, hey, this is my number. But no, we have so many other ways to communicate that this is the way you can discover what's happening in the community. A use group somewhere, you know, things going virtual or just, you know, a podcast or something like this. And then I would just uh, be more and more interested. So it's more about the people and then the people sharing the experience and, you know, what they're learning. This is where the information is and the interaction is as well. It's kind of my favorite thing about this whole PowerShell situation that we're all in. We get this beautiful language where we can get so much value from our careers. It's fun. It's cool. Um, we can go through it. But also as people, we're kind of growing and it provides a lot of other opportunities to grow as individuals outside of just technical stuff. Um, and I think we were watching your talk from Summit about, uh, what was it called? Um, Non-coding skills for successful automation in your organization. Um, and I really enjoyed that talk because I think you did a good job at highlighting that it's more than just code, right? You need people to run your code. There's a lot of other things that play a part in getting any kind of change happening in an organization. Um, and I guess to you know, kind of turn this into a question, go ahead. No, a lot of it is about value. How can we deliver value? And then obviously coding is a good tool for us to deliver the value. But first you need to understand what the business around you would like you where would like you to provide the value and i think you mentioned that like poking people i think like the stick method of poking people to uh motivate them isn't always the best method yes <laughs> what are some alternative systems you've found for encouraging people to do certain behaviors well, there's a there's a book I really like about this, which is a Drive um, uh, by Daniel Pink. And Drive really tells you, you know, how what is motivation and how can someone be motivated. So, how do you want to keep someone engaged? Well, you don't want them to uh, do something uh, that they don't understand the purpose. If you give them a purpose and you let them build uh, the intrinsic motivations, then they will be able to do the best because they know why they're doing it. They know the impact it can have and they know how they can you know, improve it. If, you, if you're trying to change what they're doing, like do this ticket, do this ticket, do this ticket next, you're removing you know, um, 
all the context about why you need to do this and why the business cares about those things and why uh, it's important and people will like you doing this job. You just say, well, do this ticket and close it. So the incentive you're giving is just closing tickets and there's not much fun into just closing tickets. You got a little bit of dopamine effect, you know, when you are, oh, I've, I've finished it, but then you have nothing about the quality and the why you're doing it. So back to also uh, Simon Sinek uh, books, you know, um, start with why people need to understand why you're doing something and then they're more likely to be uh, motivated about it. There were two major takeaways from that talk that, that really stuck out to me. Uh, the, the first was it doesn't matter how good your code is if nobody adopts it, which yes. I've I've given a, a version of that several times since I heard you say that. And and the other one is almost view the project as a business transaction instead of a project with the person requesting the code as your customer. And that way you're more likely to reach out and keep them involved. Well, the project mindset usually is, is like, is the first uh, thing like to go in the wall. Uh, it's the first thing that you, people are doing, yeah, you need to do this project, but then they don't see it within the business because project has a start and maybe as an end, but you know, usually when you want to have an impact, it doesn't start somewhere or end somewhere. It's about uh, you know, what are people trying to achieve? If they make money out of what you're doing, how? And then do they just, do, um, do they just make money from a date to, another, to the end date? Usually doesn't work like that. So what about maintenance? What about uh, doing something and then use it as early as possible to give you the feedback and then you know increment the value over time and maintain it over time as well so then they carry on uh, using it. Well, based on the answer you've given us, it seems like you've put a lot of thought into this problem over the time. You have some experience with it. Was there a point when you were kind of not taking any of this advice, hadn't learned any of these lessons, was kind of going about things in a way that wasn't the most efficient and you had to kind of learn and now you've organically kind of learned this new method of approaching things that kind of works with you. And and I think your job now is, I believe, a consultant. Yes. <clears throat> so I'm a consultant. I have my company doing consulting exactly in this. So very focused. <clears throat> I like to be uh, I like to be really still hands-on in the PowerShell and PowerShell and DSC uh, fields. Uh, because I believe if you disconnect the hands-on approach to uh, this a bit more um, theoretical approach to, uh, and I will call it DevOps, and I will come back to this later, um, to the DevOps mindsets and practices and principles, if you disconnect it, you believe that, uh, people will believe that uh, DevOps is for devs or it's not for the right persons or Agile or Scrum or this you know, tools uh, don't apply to the PowerShell people, the PowerShell environment, and these automation systems engineer, all of these people. So I like to still be hands-on just to show people that it actually it works and it applies to us as well. And why I realized that uh, is because I've been doing all of the jobs from uh, desktop support to engineering and all along the way, you know, managing exchange, managing um, infrastructure, um, doing automations on desktops and servers and Windows, Linux, uh, all of those. So I've seen the pain and I always try to fix the pain, but then you realize uh, at some point that it's not about writing the code to do it, is changing the culture around what's happening and why you do things. It's so interesting. Um, Cause you mentioned earlier context and seeing the bigger picture in, in, I feel like as we go through PowerShell and we solve problems, we, we kind of learn to view the picture, the bigger picture and the kind of causes and effects and how to actually solve things. And so often we do find it's culture. 
we do find that there's this huge impact that is so, it seems, distant from the code that we write, right? When we get so in our brains, oh, this is the most effective way to do it. But it's culture that, that really is what you're going to be relying on at the end of the day a lot of the times. But, but people don't like um, when you call it culture because it's fuzzy. It's, it's a gray area. So it's like, yeah, but how do we change culture? Well, the, the problem with that is culture is what you do. So then, you know, it looks, yeah, it's what you do. But if I do it wrong, then what do I, should I do? So this is why it's, um, it's not an easy, there's no silver bullet. It's not something that you can say, yes, you just have to follow those lines and you, you have to do Scrum. And then when you tick all the Scrum boxes, then you will be a giant. You know, that's definitely, definitely not the way, the way it works. So um, you need to make people understand you have this problem. This problem, you can use this tool, which could be Scrum, could be something else. And that's going to solve this problem. Um, when you write code, when you write PowerShell, you can find tools to be more productive writing PowerShell. But at some point, that's not going to be enough because it's not going to be a PowerShell problem. It's an organization problem. It's a culture problem. So that's why it's usually there's more to it than just PowerShell. And then at some point, you want to have a huge impact in your company, but you're limited by everything else but the thing that you can write. So you need to understand all of those problems to be able to start solving them. I think that was near the end of your talk. It was we all spend our life with the tech, so that comes easy to us. The hard part is the communicating, which yes. I agree. I, I didn't even consider soft skills something I should bother with until this last summit, and I'm I'm way behind. I got, I got a lot of work to do. Well, just, everyone everyone struggled, but even if you have the right concepts on the right things, communicating around them and being able to express them is the first struggle you will have. You can understand and see uh, from you know your experience that your job has an issue which is not about the code, not about the automation. Maybe you should not even write automation. If you were not doing something which is wasteful, then maybe you would have more time to do something more valuable. But being able to communicate around this is the first struggle that we all have. And communication is key. And, and if, we, if we engage more, and that's why I think the community is very valuable, and then we will learn how to communicate about those problems. How can we identify and then share the experience that we have and then improve the system from within? I think earlier you mentioned uh, when you were learning PowerShell, you saw that Don Jones wrote a book. You identified him as an expert. You kind of saw the people he was interacting with and kind of used that as a way to learn what best practice was. And I think in a similar light, that's what the community does. We have some people of authority or people view them with some kind of uh, expertise. And so they kind of respect what they say. They may recommend some certain things and you can then kind of take that, internalize that to your organization, say, hey, here's what so-and-so says and what Microsoft suggests. And here's some documentation supporting it and why it's maybe the better approach. Um, and I, I think it's very cool how someone can go to an organization that's maybe culturally a bit far behind and a bit stagnant, um, and they can maybe hopefully implement some principles and things they see outside into their organizations to actually drive some change. But it is such an interesting, challenging problem. And there's a lot of, um, many, many people fall in the cargo cult trap, you know. They see people having some practices and they just try to re-implement the same practices without understanding why this is a good approach to do this. And maybe it's not even relevant to them or it's not uh, the bottleneck. So you, the theory of constraints uh, dictates that if you make any improvement not at the bottleneck, you're not really improving your system. 
So you want to focus on what's really the problem for you on your environment. Then if you address those problems, even you know, just slightly, then you will improve your overall system. So don't try to spend time maybe being agile if actually you're not even working on the right thing to start with. How do you know if you're working uh, towards the right goal? How do you know if uh, you're making progress? All of those, you know, you have different tools, you have uh, toolkits like Scrum is a toolkit, and you can use some of it or all of it depending on your needs. And then you can understand a bit better uh, what you're trying to achieve and if you're making progress over time. I think you highlight another, just kind of circle back to how important context is. Um, why are we solving the problem? All the context around it. You know, you mentioned it earlier with people just solving tickets, but really it applies to so much. People solving tickets and, and using the context to feel like their work is valuable, um, but also it informs your decision-making regarding why we're doing things. Um, and yeah, I feel like that is lost so much, the why, because there's almost always in tech, you can choose between different things, you can choose your configuration, but why? How do we document these things? How do we make these choices going forward? How do we know why we've made these choices? So if we have to change things, we don't break everything. And many people complain about, you know, priorities changing and shifting, you know, every day, every week, and then not keeping track or not even caring anymore because it changed too fast that you don't have time to actually solve something before you are, you are asked and tasked to change um, to something else because, you know, priority changes. So if you, there's tools and techniques to manage this and to highlight, you know, why this is happening and what's really being asked of you. But, um, but it's always, you know, people are really disconnected. You know, uh, this is a new thing, quiet quitting, quitting, I've heard, you know, uh, it's not. It's not really exactly the same. Uh, the same thing, but it applies where people are just be more distant. They just try to get the thing they have to do done because that's the expectation they have. Like people have out of them. But uh, we need to change. Yeah. this. I think that a part of that we've had talked to guests about before is taking pride in your work and taking responsibility and pride for the systems that you manage and are responsible for because they really are systems. Um, kind of complex systems at times. And if we can take pride in our work and feel connected, like you mentioned, understanding the context, how important what we provide to the company is, even if we're only fix fixing one small part of it. Um, but I have a question about, because we're talking about thinking about the whole system. And that can be, that can take some experience to be able to do that. And for me, I found that as I went through PowerShell and kind of was learning more and more and started interacting with things on a bigger scale, I found that I was able to think about systems like you're describing in a much more tangible way that my brain was never able to do before. Have you found that kind of change in yourself as you go through your career where you're able to really think about in a more systemic way of what's kind of going on? It took a long, long time. <laughs> it took a long, long time and, and few books and lots of interactions. And um, so um, I... Quite early, because of DSC and because of other things, I followed uh, Stephen Murawski and followed, you know, the things he was saying. I interacted a lot with him. I met him many times as well during conferences. And then I've read, uh, he's got a, a DevOps uh, uh, a list of books that you can read. And I was trying to follow up, but I, I, every time he adds more, so I given up on trying to catch up. But uh, a lot of things like this and trying to understand, I, can, I could see in isolation you know, they, like this specific problem I can understand, but I couldn't understand how it would uh, be within another, the full system. But then when you start understanding that a system is just a 
you know, com composed of many other systems, um, there's always something that there's always something that um, as input from outside, and then you just have to use the right concepts and the right models. They're not perfect because they're models, but then you can isolate some issues, and then you can say, okay, in this problem, I, I recognize it. I know and I can see what's coming in and what's coming out and where the problem lies. And then I can, you know, put that in, in you know, a part of my brain and then can focus on another part. And at some point when you start decomposing, you have a better understanding of the overall system. But it took me a while and, and a lot of books. You know, the Phoenix projects um, really, really kicked it because it was trying to very quickly go through a lot of those things where you have an IT problem or what you believe is an IT problem and then the story goes and, and explains to you that it's not just an IT problem. He actually has, you know, many inputs, many different teams trying to collaborate and many bottlenecks depending on the teams. And in the end, they find a way to solve it. So, so really, really good book. Yeah, Phoenix Project, I actually had that recommended before. I have it on on my uh, nightstand, but I haven't read it. But it's it's like a, it's a fiction version of solving an IT issue, right? Like it's like a... I, I I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it's not like uh, a regular self-help. It's more like a, just a, a story that they tell where it kind of encompasses all the issues you might run into. Yes, it's really a story. And and it's that's why it's good because it's very easy to read and it flows quite well because uh, it's a bit stressful because I, I saw myself and I saw my teams a lot when I was reading this. And, you know, you're, you're reading this and it's like, ah, this is a problem I have day to day at work. But um, it shows you that the different elements and, the, you know, when you, have, when you talk about systems, all those components trying to work together and being very inefficient at doing it. And then you realize that a lot of those things, the problems they show um, are things that you have been experiencing in your day-to-day -day job. So in that way, it doesn't really explain you how it fixes it. And they say, hey, use this. And it's a bit magic, you know, Kanban, and it's a bit magic. It doesn't really go deep into that, but there's reference books for that. It really tells you the story and why all of those things uh, together uh, make it really hard for IT to deliver as the business expects. And I think it's super helpful seeing it in someone else's story because we all, or at least if you're listening to this, you probably work in IT, but it's we're so biased and we're so used to it. And sometimes you can be so busy that it can be really impossible to see the full context. But by seeing this this other dude's story, exactly, by seeing this other dude's story, you can see what's similar to you, what's not. And just as its own account, you can observe what's kind of going on. And there's so much to learn. It is such a game changer. If you haven't um, read the book yet, I highly recommend it. Highly. It's entertaining. It kind of reads like a movie, sort of. Like you're just watching this story play as you read through. And and back to what we said earlier about communications. When you read this and you read this story, you know it's a it's a dialogues as well. So you know how people communicate about those problems, and that teaches you and that teaches me how how we can analyze and communicate about the problem. And then you know then obviously there's so many gray areas that left, but a lot of unanswered questions. But then when you know about those and you know about those patterns that you can recognize. And then you can discuss them with your uh, your team, or your managers. Then you can say, okay, now we, we know that we need to dig a little bit deeper. And then we can, you know, open another book or find another ways, maybe get a consultant, you know, whatever. Find, um, f uh, dig a bit to understand better the problem and try to try solutions. Some will work, some won't work, but at least you will try something. So it's not common where you see anymore, like something 
that unique, right? Like you don't hear about fiction books that, that cover a, a beginning to end process for an IT issue. Are, are we missing a major genre? Should we be, should we write more of these? I think the problem is IT people thinking that their problem is unique mm. because they believe, um, you know, because we're in IT, it's different, you know. No, it's not. Um, it's not. And then just IT is the tool that we use in uh, creating some solutions and creating some value for the businesses. But at the end of the day, we still a bunch of people trying to collaborate. And this is where usually the problem is. And that goes again to the, what we discussed earlier, which is, okay, we need to collaborate. That means we need to manage the work we're doing, understanding the context in a business way, and then where, you know, what does it impact and which other teams it impacts. It just, the problem is not just the IT thing that we're doing. You know, we're not in the tunnel vision. We need to have a bit more um, situational awareness, understand what's the business is going on and why what we are doing in IT makes, uh, you know, is a problem or not, or he's helping or not, he's creating value or not for the business. It's a great way to put it. I definitely find myself and I've definitely seen other people fall into the trap of thinking that we're special or computers are super duper unique or anything like that. Um, but one thing that is really interesting to me about DevOps and the way that we try and solve problems more efficiently is that it kind of represents us as humans learning to solve problems with systems in the most efficient way possible. Because the way that I view it is there's a ton of financial incentive to develop software faster, more efficiently, but like such a large amount of money incentivizing this kind of thing that as humans, we're kind of have figured this out. And to me, it's so interesting and reassuring that a large part of our conclusions is that it is human. And it is that there is so much importance in the way that we communicate, like you're saying. Um, just as a human going through the world and, and the way I've perceived things, for a while, I just assumed it was all code. We just needed to put the smartest uh, people who could type the best buttons and we'd solve all the problems. But like to now see it from my perspective where I view communication is so important and now to see the kind of world at large, seeing that spread out from some of the top organizations and some of the most well-respected people in our field is quite interesting and, and really cool to see that we are just all people trying to work on stuff together. Yeah, I, I like to think that um, writing code is what we can be busy with when everything else works. So when your communications collaborations is working fine, then you can focus on the code. But if you haven't, you know, before that, then writing the code is probably not going to help you. No one's going to use it, or or they will. You're doing something that's not going to be uh, solving the problem that you thought you had. Probably you didn't, you know, uh, catch the right problem. So that's why. It, you can only code when everything else is already done for you, like the communications and uh, collaborations. Yeah, the Phoenix Project is a big book for my for my career. I read it and I saw the way that they like, oh, they, you need to handle tickets this way, and there needs to be more of this and that. And I implemented what I could with our ticketing system and went through all that, and it was very, very, very enjoyable. And I recommend if you're listening to this and maybe you have read the book, maybe you haven't, give it a read. And I recommend or try to set it as like a standard for your team, kind of make it assigned reading, get everyone on similar pages of like, hey, here's kind of the direction we can head. Here's some things we should stop doing. Here's what we should start doing. Uh, here's where we're really weak. Here's where we're doing pretty well and kind of go through and set that. So going forward, you're actually working on the systems and you're not just running in place. It, it really levels up the communication within your team. If everyone has the same basis, you don't have to 
talk exactly about your company and people can be, you know, passionate about, you know, what's happening within the company. But if you just use, you know, the names or the situations within the book, then you can be much more constructive sometimes. So you say, well, we have a Brent problem. You know, Brent is one of the main character, very techy, you know, very good. That might be you uh, listening to the podcast. You know, you might be the Brent for the, you know, the, the team that you're working with. Um, and then, you know, how do we address this problem? How do we get Brent uh, creating, uh, delivering more value and stop just supporting everyone? How do we do that? Yeah, I bet there are a lot of people listening who feel like they are perpetually putting out fires all the time. And if, you've, if you're using PowerShell and you're the PowerShell person at your work, I'm sure you're spread uh, even more thin with your responsibilities. So, so I was the, I guess, the, the first adopter for PowerShell at my last job. And I did notice it becomes like a, a magic wand. Like you'd be discussing who can do a certain thing and it's, oh, this magic can handle it, but where no one else was was picking that up, it, there's just a, a fancy way of saying that I, I could do it. So I, I can see how you can get spread out pretty quickly like that. Yeah, and many people ask why, you know, say you're in your company and you're the, on, you're the PowerShell guy. Why are you the PowerShell guy and there's no one else? Why no one else is going in there? So there might be elements in the book that tells you, you know, um, why. If you have one guy doing the things and then basically you say, yeah, it's a team. We all do the same thing, but this guy is the PowerShell guy. So if you think about DevOps and Flow, then you have created, even if it's within the team, if, it, if on paper you're on the same team, you have created a work center. So you have issues like that. You have, uh, you have different people doing different tasks, even if it's within the same team, but they have very specific um, you know, things they're doing. The VMware guy, the exchange guy, the PowerShell guy. So basically you have queues between each of those people for a given task. The PowerShell guy is gonna do something like generate a report, so then the exchange guy can do the fixes. So you just create more queues, more ticket systems within the team. Even if it's you know, less of a problem because you don't have to put everything in the tickets, it still creates queues between it, so the performance. Um, is not optimum. Yeah, I found that I enjoyed being the PowerShell guy at my work in the beginning. It was quite nice. But then I quickly realized that it's not sustainable and I want to leave this company one day in a place where they can still use the solutions. And that ain't going to happen. They're, they may not be able to replace me with someone who is uh, as fluent in PowerShell. So I kind of switched my mindset to like, I will develop some solutions, make sure that they're usable, train people on them. And when it comes time to make a, a fix, make sure, go through them with GitHub, kind of go through the things, train when possible and as often as possible, to be honest. Because yeah, to me, um, working with others and teaching them how to use PowerShell was super enjoyable. And also as like the PowerShell guy, like you are mentioning earlier, that was kind of my, my field. Uh, I had a lot of respect and it, it would go a long way. They'd feel, it, it felt nice to kind of be able to share that with others and see them get their value and go through what I went through and it's a fun process. But it doesn't work when uh, you are purely in a project mindset. When you have a project where you start something and then when it's finished, it's finished, it's handed over, then you know these project mindset don't really work with training alongside or maintaining over time, supporting a solution, like whether it's a partial solution or something else. So that's, that's get back. Like that works, but then you need to make sure the culture also is, uh, is, is good for this type of... Uh, approach i struggle with this one because my belief has always been stick me in a dark room and i'll make management look good 
Like I don't want to. So I, I feel like I've actively been seeking the exact opposite of what we're talking about here. So, so that works the time. And the problem is at some point you will be limited. So you want to, um, you want to have an impact. You want to help out people, whether it's management, whether it's the business, the team, you want to help out people. And, and at some point you will say, well, I could do more if, and the problem is the if it's outside of just your PowerShell, uh, your, you know, your editor, and then whatever you can do with your PowerShell stuff. So at some point you will be limited by others or limiting by your company. And at that point it's like, well, yes, it's not sustainable because you maxed out on, you know, this model maxed out, as Andrew was saying. Um, if you're the PowerShell guy, at some point, you just can't maintain more systems. You can't create more codes that you will have to maintain. Something has to give. Basically, your uh, your impact is limited because you can't scale these improvements. That makes sense. We'll see about changing my mindset. I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> I think it's a pretty common mindset for people in IT, especially when you got in, when I got in, to have is to kind of, it was more of an isolated kind of thing. And I think that it's interesting to see the culture generally is shifting into more of a collaborative, more of a involved type of approach. I think that changed with the tech. I would say, yeah, it changed with the technology because we used to have one server. Then maybe we had two servers. And then we had, okay, now we may have 10, 10 servers. And then, okay, now we have an Android server and then, you know, everything goes through the window when you have this. And now you have the cloud, which is, you have the clouds. So you have even more clouds. So then, yeah. And you still haven't gotten rid of the the old stuff that you had 20 years ago. Like, I don't know, you were Active Directory for us from 20 years ago or something like that. So you st you're just uh, spreading, you diversify the things that you have to do. So then you need more people, but complexity is a is a strange equation. You know? Complexity is about how complex is the system, but then how complex it is to work with many people on the system. And then doing this over 10 years, you know, makes it even more complex. So the complexity equation has many factors. And then um, it, if one factor is big, whether it's time, it's number of systems, like it just goes really, really bad really quickly. I was reading through your, you have a reading list up on your website. Do and I, first yes. of all, the, the number one recommendation was Phoenix Project. That's that's the top of the list, which I think says something there. But at the very end, it says you have all the books stacked in a corner waiting for the bookshelf to be built. But looking back there, looks like mission accomplished. You've done it. Yeah, I've done a few. <laughs> <laughs> this, yes, yes. I At some point, I was thought like, oh, I'm I'm... I'm really discovering like so many new things that I wished I knew before with those books. So at some point I say, okay, let's do a target. I will try to have 12 books this year. And I managed 11, so I was happy with that. It doesn't matter if you don't really do the 12, but uh, I had 11 books and then that really helped me um, basically building my understandings because there's so many things and it's overwhelming because you know there's problems, you know it's about culture, and then you've seen a few talks about culture, the CALMS principles and things like that, but it's so it's still very fuzzy. So then you have to build those different models in your head, understand are they, um, you know, which area they're looking at and how you can apply some of the tools and techniques they suggest. And then you have these, uh, if you have enough of them, then you can really have an impact and understand how the system works. Okay. I'm loving the DevOps talk. I kind of want to bring up one other thing that comes to my mind whenever I think about PowerShell, systemic thinking, DevOps, and that is efficiency. And for me, 
understanding um, how important and how efficient it is to communicate, how efficient it is to write good documentation, how efficient it is to automate processes, how efficient it is to be kind and not blame other people. Like such small things can be so powerful. How efficient it is to ask a question for clarity, especially if you're a respected like technical contributor on your team. These are all massively efficient things. And I like framing it as efficiency because PowerShell, we're in that efficiency mindset. We're solving problems, we're saving time, but that also applies to this whole personal communication side of things as well, where doing the right thing is super efficient. And by crossing those lines in my mind, I just found it was so much easier to see the value of the human interactions and spending resources and trying to become better at interacting with other people, better listener, um, even in this current age, better at writing because we communicate so often through a written medium. I I tend to see it the other way. I don't know if it's uh, so. I try to so I try to focus on what is wasteful, which is kind of the same thing, right? But but put in the other way around, I say, okay, what is wasteful? So and and why doing this is wasteful? Because if you think efficiency, then you will always try to uh, to you know, go towards what you believe is a best practice, but not necessarily a best practice for you in your current uh, state and environment. So if you focus on what is wasteful and say, okay, let's try to, you know, chip away what's wasteful. And it like sometimes you will try to chip away something wasteful, which is not, uh, but you didn't realize why. So at least you will understand that you removed something that was useful. Um, but uh, think about what's wasteful, uh, and then you will have a better way of communicating about, you know, what's the priorities, for instance. Uh, how do you manage those ones? So I really like, uh, so it's kind of the same thing. I'm just, uh, I like to discuss about what's wasteful. So then you can uh, focus at, you know, taking these apart slowly and then focusing in the end in the efficiency, which is uh, what you want to keep. Nice. It's, so it gives just, me some food for thought. Change my little <laughs> working model a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of cracking up at Andrew's excitement because when he started working, at PDQ, the first thing he did, we have a lot of people that do PowerShell, but it's all segmented. And so within two weeks of him starting here, when he's still learning the ropes, he had combined together a bit like a PowerShell guild where we get together and work through some things together. So the, the first thing he did joining the company was take a bunch of PowerShell people and made them into a, a controlled group, which was, I thought, interesting. I didn't think of it for four years, so it was a big change for me. Yep. For me, it's just, I see the value of that collaboration. I just know it. It's not like, uh, you know, if you know the value of something, it becomes very, and you understand the context, like you said earlier, it becomes very easy to do the thing that you perceive to be valuable. And that is collaboration. That's communication. That's uh, talking about problems, working on problems together, all kinds of stuff. And people who've seen, you know, people like there's a lot of value in experience. Uh, so people that have had this experience somewhere else, they will be able to show you the value. They will tell you, you know, this is a problem. You know, you can tell me it's a problem until I see it, until I hit the wall, I'm not going to learn from it. So you can tell me, you know, at some point you're going to have this problem. And I will say, yeah, fair enough, but I don't see it yet. But then you can help people go into that wall softly so they understand there's this wall, there's this problem. And then they can say, oh, I understand it now. And then they can uh, use that and improve without you know being painful or too hard because someone with experience helped you to get there. So yes, I really like this this approach of you know cross training and, and um, having yeah different like cross personalization and 
and that the collaboration doesn't have to stop to stop to the org chart. And usually, if that happens, there's, there's an issue, and and you have to you, you really have to uh, do by uh, technology is a good way to do it, but also uh, to uh, value stream. And I will get into that maybe another time. I, I do love talking about this stuff. I love when I engage that part of my brain where I have to think about the full picture and why people are doing things and and how they could do things better. And Because to me, everything can be viewed through this kind of lens. Dang near. Dang near everything. I, I kind of view through this lens. There's um, So there's a talk from... I believe so. Um, Chrisant, he is, so he's working at uh, Stack Overflow, and he did a talk about uh, worldly mapping and worldly maps. And part of it, so when you start, even if you don't go too deep into the worldly maps, I think it's very useful, even as an engineer, you know, a PowerShell guy in your company, to visualize where you are in the stream or in the value stream. The value stream is. Your company is providing a service that people think, oh, the service is valuable, so I'm going to give your company money, right? That's very high level. Um, within that, you can be very, very far from this main value stream, or at least you can feel that you're very far. But it's good to understand what is, so where you sit, you know, where do you provide value within that value stream? Because if you improve this value stream, people will see that you have an impact because that's what really matters. So if you start you know, drawing uh, on a piece of paper, and I really like um, when I join a team trying to ask the questions to just say, okay, so what's your value stream? So how can we reverse engineer from the team that I've just joined, where is the value and where do we come in to help for that value? So I think that's a very good tool that anyone can use. And I believe one of my talk goes very quickly into this um, as well. But uh, Chris went a bit deeper with the worldly maps because you can really visualize what you should be working on and not working on, basically, uh, because it's you know you you can make some more educated choice if you do this kind of mapping. Wow, <laughs> I love. I feel like we get so much wisdom from our guest, Jordan. Can we just take a second? I mean, he's dropping knowledge bombs. If you're out there listening, absorb this info um, because. I, at least for me, it took me a lot of years to start understanding this and, and start breaking it down. And it's nice to see that we're at the point where people in the PowerShell community are understanding of this and have lived it and are living this kind of thing. It's not just the people who wrote the book or just the people at the top organizations, um, a handful of people. It's spreading. And we mentioned context. And so many of our listeners are... Um, maybe don't work at huge companies and they're small people on the teams or whatever. And understanding the context and the importance of what you do as someone who manages any system, even if it's 50 computers um, and, and 10 servers at your work or whatever, that is very important work when it comes to securing the world, when it comes to providing value to your organizations. Like That's where a lot of change is going to come from. And um, if you're listening out there, I hope that you join us for the ride, take pride in what you're working on, share, communicate, be a leader in the ways that you can within your organization. Because it's just so cool that we're kind of experiencing this all as humans at once in different ways. And if we can get everything more efficient and working better, we'll be in a better place as humans. Yeah. And the smaller the company, the closer you are from the value stream of that company. So it's even more important because like you don't have so many layers to deal with. You can pretty, uh, it's going to be easier for you to prioritize work and to see where it impacts. And it's also very useful, you know, for your 
when you look for your next job or when you do something else, because you will know how it relates to the value stream. So you will be able to say, well, I improved, you know, these systems, I improved the revenue, I improved uh, the, the time spent uh, on the tasks, and these kind of things. I think you'll have more success changing the culture at a smaller place too. A bit easier to do that when there's less jumps between you and the people above you. It's also like, it's just, it's less diluted. Um, you know, culture is what people do to simplify a little bit. So it's, you know, the, the customs and the things that people do in a company, it's what the employees are doing. So if you have less people, then you are a bigger percentage. And it's also easier to influence more people to, you know, change the way they work. So it's, yes, it's, that's for this reason alone, it's easier. Awesome. Now, we're mentioning community involvement and how we're all kind of learning together and sharing what we've learned. Um, now, you're involved in some user groups that have been kind of popping up again lately. What, what user groups are you involved with? So uh, user groups, the London PowerShell user groups uh, for Easter Recruitment. So I used to live in London for... I don't know, maybe 10 years. And uh, I've now moved to Switzerland. So I'm still uh, kind of organizing the London user groups because I still travel there. My company is based in London, also open in Switzerland. And then um, I uh, we've restarted with a few other um, guys from Switzerland. We've restarted the Swiss PowerShell user group. And we had the last one in Bern. And then we have, the, like, we will go in different cities. Um, I'm really active in the DSC community. So the DSC community is, um, you know, many people from the community getting together, doing the DSC community calls, uh, joined by the Microsoft uh, configuration team and also the PowerShell team. And we have uh, DSC community calls every six weeks, dscommunity.org. You can find our websites. Everything's online. We have um, GitHub slash DSC community. It's an organization with uh, many repositories and D DSC resource modules over there, many people active and uh, maintaining those things. So that's my, I would say that's my main community user groups. And then there's the events. You organized the PowerShell conference uh, EU, right? Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm the. So I took over from um, Tobias uh, for the PowerShell Conference Europe. Uh, Power, uh, Tobias used to do it from like 2016, I believe, up until uh, 2020. Well, you know, COVID uh, was really in the way, so that was uh, making things uh, much harder. And then I said, well, actually, I'd I'd love to, uh, you know, take over and then carry carry on with the tradition and everything. And uh, especially for me, I was really proud to be able to invite. It's not really inviting because he's been very involved in the last uh, in the last PowerShell Conference Europe. But him being there, not as the organizers, not having all the stress, but being able to you know benefit from uh, all the things that you've done for so many years. And then that was that was a really good time, and we had a really good time. And and I was really proud to be able to get him, you know, being there, and almost like just being a speaker, almost just a speaker. <laughs> Next year, I think, is going to be even more relaxed for him, so I'm really looking forward to it. That's, that's kind of how these things are supposed to go, right? Whenever we develop something, we're supposed to kind of build it up, train up the next people. It's their opportunity, and it's kind of cool to see that happen with the conference. Um, I attended the mini-conference. What's the official name of mm -hmm. the mini-con? Uh, we call it, mini it mini-con or PSConfigU mini-con, yes. So, so that one is a bit special, and that was the first, and uh, not the last. Uh, we are trying to do it. So basically, the in-person PowerShell Conference Europe, which is the big event, in-person, and then uh, in different cities in Europe at the moment. So uh, last year was in Vienna, um, Austria. And then the next one will be in Prague, in the Czech Republic. 
Um, and that's in June. So um, around mid-June, let's say roughly around mid-June. And then we try to have the Minicon in September, around mid-September. The reason for that is there's always talks we can't deliver, you know, our speakers can't make it fall sick, you know, with COVID or something. And then we still want to have the sessions. They're prepared, they've invested time, and we want to give them the opportunity to, to show them and present them. And we also want to be able to reach out. So we create this Minicon event, which is held on uh, Gather. Gather is a, how do you call it? Like, it's a it's a virtual environment, very uh, 2D, like 30, you know, tiles-based, old gaming feelings, uh, a bit, you know, a bit of nostalgia when you when you open Gather. But then it integrates with video conference and, you know, you have your audio, your webcam, and, you know, you can, you come close to people, your avatar comes close to someone, and then you can see that their video shows up and you start hearing them. And the closer you get, the, clo the you know, the clearer the picture and, and the sound is. Yeah, I like to think of it as like an old pixelated game that takes place in a building. And as soon as you step near people, you can see their camera and talk. And it's very cool because there are tables, there's different rooms, there's like presenter mode. Uh, so there, it provides the opportunity for something we talk about a lot on this podcast that not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to attend it for, which is the hallway track, right? There's this opportunity for spontaneous conversation with other people with mutual interests. And it's very cool. I was able to have conversations with people uh, in Singapore all over the place um, as if we were in the same room and got to learn from all different kinds of speakers. Uh, I really love that virtual collaboration platform because it's more immersive than just a Discord or Zoom call in the sense that you can have those different conversations. Um, are, I know you kind of mentioned something in the pre-show about maybe some more opportunities to gather on Gather. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, exactly. So uh, we found that it works really well. So we said for uh, PowerShell user groups, so I co-organize uh, so I said the London and the Swiss PowerShell user groups. And I know it's really hard to get a venue every time, be in person, so I can't be in London every month, as an example. So we thought, okay, let's let's do like a different approach and let's uh, host user groups on Gather. So we have this map uh, that actually people, if so my company is Synergy Limited, so synergy.com, and then you can see that uh, we have or office, which is a virtual office on Gather, so anyone can join. And there's a co-working space. If you want to be there, you can go in the co-working space. And then from there, you can go in the garden. And from the garden, you can quickly take the bus. And that takes you to the map that we created for uh, PS Coffee and Minicon. And um, so, yes, yeah, it's, this environment is, um, is really nice. It's very collaborative. It's not one-way communication that you have in Teams where you draft just a video. If you don't like something, you can walk to someone else, find groups, discuss. Two people at the same time can share a screen, and then you can switch back and forth. Um, so yeah, it's a very, uh, very good interaction uh, system to interact. And that's why we said, okay, let's do the user groups on Gather. And actually, uh, we've offered it on Twitter, so uh, we can like PS Configure. If you look the PS Configure. Uh, tweets, you will be able to find it. We have um, an announcement where we say, you can come to PS World. This is the way, the, the name we gave to the map. Um, and then you can host any of your PowerShell uh, user groups on this map, and we will pay for uh, the number of people. So if you do an event and you have more than 25 people in general, you have to pay a little fee uh, for uh, the time of your of people will join. So we say, okay, we're going to take this cost, we're going to absorb this cost, 
and we will let anyone come in. But we want to use specific dates. So the reason for that is we can have several user groups at the same time. So we haven't announced it yet, but in January, there will be the Swiss PowerShell user group, the London PowerShell user group, and most likely the French PowerShell user group as well, doing at the same time, um, in, in the same map, if you want, they will be together and they will have the different tracks. So one track is probably going to be in French, the other track is going to be in English, and most likely the Swiss one is going to be in German. But during the time, we just come back, and that's going to be in the PS World pub. We created a pub in the map, and people will go in the pub and then be able to use in-gather, go into the different rooms, whichever language they want to go, and being able to discuss like this. So if you have a user group and you want to be um, you want to have your group at the same time, feel free to join. And you know, we have a form up there. I don't have the link with me, but we have a form and you just uh, put, hey, I would like, I, I'm interested. I want more details. So I'm interested. When can I, where, where can I sign? You just fill that forms and uh, we'll get back to you. I will be doing that because I run the Gainesville PowerShell user group and I definitely want to go. I was going to say, more. those that uh, are listening, not watching, you can, you can actually see excitement in Andrew. He's, uh, as soon as you mentioned that uh, a whole bunch of user groups are joining together, I could I could see him already. It's like I'm in. <laughs> it just makes sense, especially in the manner that they've gone about doing it. Like just for our community to have some form of resource like that, to be able to basically have spontaneous conferences where anyone can attend is huge for me. I am happy that we have guests and people that can afford to attend PSConfU or live nearby. And same thing with uh, PowerShell Summit and all these other different conferences. But the fact of the matter is, is our friends. People who listen to us and people who I consider my friends aren't always able to for so many reasons. And it's so cool that we get this content just delivered with so many different options. The mini conf that I went to was super, super fun. And I'm looking forward to more of these. And I think that once more people attend, um, they'll kind of taste the awesomeness that is gather. And that is kind of like playing a video game, sort of. Yeah, sort of. So uh, the 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 uh, platform that Gather creates is really nice for these interactions. There's a few features that are, you know, we'd like to have a few more things, animations like GIFs, you know, in the objects. So then there's a bit more interactivity with the environment. Uh, maybe, you know, having inventory just so you can take something and, you know, take it somewhere. That would be awesome. So we're not there yet. But um, but for the interaction, it's it's really good, and you know that's a benefit when we have this uh, last time. So Minicon, um, the PowerShell team, like a few people from the PowerShell came, PowerShell team came, and then you can just go run up to them, and then hey, I have a question. Oh, I saw your presentation. You know that that's great, and and that's that's why it's great. You don't have you can select the people you talk to. If you are in a call, you're limited to everyone in that call, or you have to use the chat. Not necessarily the same uh, environment, but then if you have a subject you're interested in, then you go and then you talk about that subject. Or maybe you just join, you know, oh, there's people over there, let's just go and see what they talk about, and then just join up the conversation. Most likely it's going to be about PowerShell for us. So. This feels like something the PowerShell team would love. In the hallway track at Summit this year, we talked to Danny and Sydney, who said that they wish more people would communicate with them. And it seems like this is just opening up a new avenue for them to get that communication. So I, I got to imagine this is probably something they've been, uh, they're really looking forward to as well. Yes, yes they have. And I, I talk to them quite often uh, for PSConfigure and for the things. And uh, so for the next, uh, uh, for the next one, so the London PowerShell Use Group, um, uh, Jim Tura is coming and doing a deep dive on Crescendo. Uh, we will announce it. Probably I need to send the tweet today or maybe in the next few days. 
but um, but yes, so uh, Jim Trudeau is coming. And when I said, oh yeah, it's going to be on Gather, people say, oh yeah, you know, from the team, they say, oh yeah, that's good. Like they had a good time, and they really like the interaction because it's traveling is hard, and then. This one is just something you can turn up. And it's not like a call. If you miss the first half an hour, you missed all of it. It's more like, oh, the people are still there. There's still people there, so we can still interact with them. So they don't have to come all at once. If they are the meeting, it's fine. They can come after the meeting, before the meeting. It's more open in time. Minicon was open from noon-ish uh, CET. And then uh, people was there from, you know, during 24 hours, we had people on and off. We had a peak, obviously, during the session times, but then people would just be there, some driving cartings outside or, you know, having fun and discussing and having inside. But, you know, that, that was cool. Not in yeah. yeah, you mentioned Steve Lee. I got to talk to him a little bit. There was a nice conversation going there. I got to meet a listener, Nico. Shout out to Nico. Um, yeah, it was, I'm looking forward to the next one. I, I found your tweet that has the register for your interest here. and. Um, I will definitely be signing up for that. And we'll include some great links in our show notes here. We've covered a lot of great stuff, and we will make sure to have a thorough show notes for you today. Probably more links than our usual. Perfect. Including some book recommendations. We don't get those too often, Jordan. We got some good ones. Well, readings for nerds, and no one in PowerShell is a nerd, so it's a difficult <laughs> transition. <laughs> so many books. There's so, so, so many things that... Um, when you start asking people a little bit outside of, you know, you're the pure PowerShell path, and then they say, oh, yeah, you should read that book. And then you realize that, you realize that we're not that special. We just like PowerShell is special, but we're not that special. And a lot of things applies to us. And, you know, we're not the first geek. We're not the first introverts. We're not the first, you know, some other people have been through this. We need to listen to those people and then, you know, reapply and relearn those things and share this, those learnings across the community. Well, just kind of a testament to the value of soft skills is this community was built around making it so everyone felt comfortable and welcome, which involved a lot of soft skills, even getting it off the ground. So without soft skills, is the community near what it is today? I don't, I don't think it is. And all the things I've learned, all the books I've learned about, I've, you know, that's coming from the community and that's PowerShell, uh, PowerShell Summit, PowerShell Meetups, PowerShell, uh, PowerShell Conference, uh, all of those things. So you know that's the right place definitely so for ps config it's always my objective like to make it easier like lower the bar to you know what book and you know how to make books more accessible how to make you know some all the um you know people don't need to buy the book to just um you know what it's about so maybe doing a book club something like that's one of the objectives i would like to be able to deliver for ps config something like a book club where people can discuss about the books and you know why it's interesting to have this book you know where you can find so if you have to choose and you have, you know very little about powershell which powershell book you would use that's the question for you which book which powershell book do you prefer and why if we could pick one um, gosh, well, two come to mind. Uh, well, obviously PowerShell in the month lunches comes to mind, but I'm thinking of PowerShell in action or I don't remember the one by Lee Holmes. It was like PowerShell cookbook cookbook. Yeah, that's it. Probably those, those two come to mind. But, but you see that that's the thing, like depending of, depending of what you want to do and where you are in your learnings, like some are more, uh, targeted for you. So if you're starting with PowerShell, uh, like PowerShell in the month of lunches, 
definitely that's a, that's my go-to book for someone starting on getting you know to grips with parachute concepts. Very good way to explain it. Like I really love this book. But then at some point we say, okay, I got the basics there. Like you know, advanced functions I I can understand and everything's fine there. Then I would say, well, then you can probably go to uh, you know as you said. Uh, parachute in action uh, there's the uh, the conference books are good as well uh, because you have very specific examples about uh, about some use cases and then like there's no one book but how to select the book you want then it depends where you are and what you're looking for so that's why i want to make sure that we make it a bit more you know easier for people to find out what they want maybe having a sample of each book and then people can just browse during the conference still working on this so Sorry. i think PowerShell in a month of lunches is pretty much universal. If someone's starting out, I think 100% of the time recommended. It's branching off from there is when it starts getting a lot of a lot of yeah. variety available. I'm just grabbing uh, the books. books. So yeah, so that's, you know, one of this is Windows PowerShell in action. That's the one here. Uh, this is the Phoenix projects we talked about. Um, there's... Evan, so Evan in parallel, uh, some of them, like so one we didn't talk about, but because I'm really into systems management and systems configuration, infrastructure as code, and there's a newer edition now, but from Keith Morris, that's an amazing book that explains you about the, even if you believe it's not completely related because they talk in these books, they use, for instance, maybe uh, a little bit of Chef or Puppet, um, and on Linux, maybe mostly, the concepts really applies to everything. And it's, it's, it talks about the concepts. It's even using pseudocode at some point because it doesn't really matter which tool you're using. It's about the concepts. And that is a really, really good book for that. So that's why we need to be able, people need to not be afraid of the books and understand what they're getting into before they even buy the book. And then, you know, they can also buy the virtual version. But it would be nice if we had, you know, like a, what library is about. If we could uh, go to the library and then, you know, check a book before you buy it for yourself. That's what I want uh, at the conference to be able to do as well at some point. Interesting. I, I like that idea because it's, it's pretty relevant to my experience of buying books. Uh, you don't quite know what to experience, expect. You just know you want this book. People say it's good. Okay, I guess I'll read it. It's 600 pages. <laughs> Where yeah, do I start? Then, what should I yeah, be looking exactly. for? Yeah. And then, you know, why, if someone asks me, okay, why uh, the PowerShell in Month of Adventures is a good book, then like, I open the page and then I go through, I really like how they explain um, advanced functions on the pipeline, especially the pipeline. I see still to date many, many people that don't really uh, master the pipeline. But when you read the Month of Lunches and the pipeline parts of it, um, you know how to manage the pipeline, the iteration through the pipeline, the begin and uh, the begin process and uh, parts of your advanced function. I say that's really like this is the good example where they show you the code, how to do it, what happens, really step by step, good progression. I really love that. I really love this book for that. And some people, that's what they need because it goes into details and you have different pages and different parts that explains it. Interesting. Yeah, at first when you mentioned it, I thought you were just going to talk about uh, some of the other books you mentioned, like Drive or something like that. But I think having it specifically for PowerShell books makes a lot of sense for a PowerShell conference. Oh, we could do we could do all of them. As in, yeah. you know, infrastructure as code. Infrastructure as code is is not PowerShell specific, but very relevant to many people doing any type of um, configuration management things in PowerShell. You know, why there's different type of configuration management. You know, what is Kubernetes? Well. If you understand this, you understand why people build Kubernetes to some extent. 
It's, it's just a bigger system that integrates many of those concepts and then expanded on them, obviously, over time. But, but it's still you know, very, very similar. Interesting. Because I feel like there's a certain value you can get from a book kind of being described in the sense that in your head, when you're painting this picture of what is IT, what will I be working with, you can kind of get the context of like, oh, there's this solution that kind of solves this problem. I don't know any commands to do it. I just know that there's like some configuration files associated with it and they save it in a JSON. Okay, something like that. Okay, now you can move to the next thing. And then in your head, at least you have like one, one brush stroke of having the full view of everything. Um, for me, being in IT, especially earlier in the show, you mentioned how complex it is these days. Um, and, and that's why there needs to be this collaboration. Um, lost where I was going with that, so leave it no there. Nice. I, I, think, I think you got, got to your point there. But now it's time for, this is a very important question. We have a segment called Common Parameters, where we ask three of the most difficult questions you'll ever get. Are you ready? Do you think you can handle the common parameters? Common parameters? Probably not, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be ready. All right. uh, what is one time something went wrong while on the job? Uh, how did you handle it? And what did you learn from it? Mm. So um, very early in my career, I was, I was doing an internship in China. And I was obviously, so I, I give that as a context because I was not sure of myself. I, I, especially at the time, I didn't speak Chinese. Um, I was really new to the job. I was doing some networking uh, stuff, configurations. And the company I was working for wanted to install a new SDSL line. And that was a new thing for me. I kind of knew the principles. I kind of knew the network. I kind of knew how to configure the Cisco device. But it was still a bit new and in a completely new environment. So I was like, not sure of myself. And then I couldn't get it to work. And I called, you know, the people like installing the line outside the building and they say, yeah, it's set up. You just have to, you know, configure your router. And then I was on the router. It's like, but it's configured. It doesn't work. And I was really sweating and doubted myself. And in the end, I was not the problem. Just, you know, there was another issue in between. But I didn't ask early enough the question, you know, are you sure? Can you, can you, walk, can you walk me through it? And you, can you help me out trying to make sure I have the right configuration? Maybe I missed something. I should have asked earlier or not just try to, you know, uh, close myself being photos, like spending many, many hours rereading the documentation of the router, rereading the principle about this specific line I was configuring just to realize that my config was okay. Like it's probably not the best optimized or whatever, but it should work. And it was not working at all. So then something had to happen. And then eventually I picked up the phone and I say, okay, I have a problem. Can you help me out? And they realized that, oh, no, we didn't connect the line as we should, you know. And that was not my fault, but I should have asked earlier. It, it's uh, not, I don't know. There's a lot of times, I think, especially early in IT, where you get the idea that asking for help is somehow a failure when really you're all working towards the same goal. I think that's a pretty common thing. Yes. And now, if I start, or if I, if you start working with me, you will see I ask many, many questions, which can be annoying, but I'm, I'm fine with that. I can be annoying. Uh, question, questions. Are I think the best that, way to go about it. I think that asking good questions and asking questions is so important to actually understanding the problems and understanding the context. Like it is kind of required in par for the course to do that kind of thing. Yes. So that's why if you are teaching, if today or tomorrow you're teaching someone about, you know, getting into the job, 
just telling them what the job is is not enough. Tell them what's happening, why you know why you're doing this job, and who is it helping, and why it's helping them. Because then it's going to be much easier for them to retain the information and then to understand why what you're doing is important and why you have to do it a certain way. All right. You ready for the second question? They only get difficult from more difficult from here. Okay. All right. With what everything you know now, what is one tip you would give your younger self when you're first starting out in IT? So we just covered one of them. Yeah, that's definitely. a big one. Yeah, yeah def- definitely. Yeah, definitely ask questions. Like, yes. Um, yeah, so failure failure is a key to learning. So that would be the thing. Like, if you are failing to do something, that's good. You should fail more often. You know, if it's painful, do it more often as well. You know, like there's things that um, you need, like don't be afraid of n- Failing, just make sure you fail in the control environment as much as you can. But um, don't be afraid of you know trying something and it doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, feel free to like we have an amazing community. Go and get someone in the community to say, well, I have this problem. Uh, is anyone available to help me out? We, everyone who succeeded has done it at some point. So everyone in the community is happy to help out. That's the first thing. We've all done it and we really learn from it. That's why now we know the value of it and we go and help other people. Um, but don't, don't, you know, you have obviously to be um, uh, respectful of everyone's time. So make sure that when you ask the question, you ask the question properly and politely, but then make sure that you ask the question and don't get stuck for three days, wasting your time for three days, just being in your corner. Uh, you know, many people can probably guide you. Maybe you're not even tackling the problem in the right way and there's easier ways to go around. Yeah, that's corrupted. Hey, uh, writer's block is a big one. I'll just try to power through writer's block and that never works. You yes. Need to... <laughs> yes. All right, there's the last one. This is the one that uh, brings the most dread into the hearts of our guests. Mm-hmm. What are your three favorite modules? I am. I thought about it. So I knew about this because I obviously I watch your podcast. Um, there's, yeah, there's a few that uh, it took me a long time because I use a lot of modules and some of them I use probably daily. I would say Pesto is the one that I dreaded the most, still annoys me when I have to write the tests, but it saves me so much time when I write new modules, when I do new modules, when I like, it saves so much time and it just sometimes um, I don't need to use my brain that much because Pesto is there to cover for me. So if I do something stupid, it will tell me. So it's my rubber duck in some ways. So Pesto definitely is uh, is my top of the list. Um, the other one for similar reasons is uh, Sampler. And I'm cheating. Sampler is a module that I wrote and uh, it just helps you to create a module. So there's other modules that does the same thing. So you can look at Stucco, Press, uh, Stucco from uh, Brandon Olin, and then uh, Press from uh, Justin. Um, uh, so those are great because they help you being much more productive and much more consistent with the way you develop your modules. And I kind of develop a lot of modules and I really like to have one way of doing it. And then it, it does all the automation for me and I can just plug it in into Azure DevOps and it will test everything in different systems, different versions of PowerShell. So that's really something. And basically I'm cheating because Sampler is not just a module, it uses many other modules. So um, as an example, Module Builder, um, I wanted to pick Module Builder initially from uh, from uh, Joel Bennett. Um, 
because it just builds the module from different files on that just for my sanity and managing my modules, which are, you know, sometimes lots of functions. It's much easier for me. But then there's so many other modules that Sampler uses. Uh, you have uh, uh, changelog management to manage your changelog. Um, you have obviously to use PESTA under the hood, uh, PSDepend to manage your PowerShell dependencies, like so many other things that Sampler is just, you know, uh, the gas, the, the pipeline that just takes everything and then put it together in some ways. On the third one, uh, I can't go without uh, mentioning uh, PowerShell DSC. It's not the module itself, so I'm cheating again a bit, but I'm a big fan of configuration management. I, I actually, I don't really like the PSDSC module, uh, at, least, at least some earlier versions, but since it's been open sourced by Microsoft, so PSDSC uh, v2 and PSDSC v3, the modules, um, this is open source, and I think it's very exciting, and I'm really excited about the future that it can bring. And so that's why, yeah, and I'm a big fan of DSC, and I spend a lot of time doing DSC stuff. So, so yeah, DSC just thought. barely an open source in like April, right? Like it's been less than a year yes. since it's been open source, and you're already seeing massive improvement from that? No, but the fact that it's open sourced means uh, there's a lot of things that we can do that we couldn't do before. Okay. So before it was never open source, so we even if you had a fix or you had anything, um, you'd say, well, it's closed source and you know you don't know what happens you have no visibility you don't ever know where to report things now uh, you have psdsc which is the module and then you have azure machine machine configuration which is a service from azure that directly uses this module they have the agent and the agent uh, is using directly this module uh, in in on linux and on windows so now it's cross-platform it's open sourced it enables uh, scenarios and things that you couldn't really do before so that's why I'm excited about it. Those are those are some fantastic answers. Thanks. Okay. Well, I'm I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the idea of bringing soft skills into IT actually came about by someone watching Andrew just in a regular conversation. And when trying to figure out the best place to use all of that ability for soft skills in IT, we decided that there's no better place than shilling our podcast. Uh, so go ahead and uh, work your magic, Andrew. PowerShell to the people, spread it wide. PowerShell to the people, please. Uh, thank you for listening. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Give us a like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. And uh, you can follow us at PowerShell Pod on Twitter, or you can email us, PowerShell at pdq.com. Thank you so much to our special guest, Gail, for that DevOps wisdom. And thanks again for listening. And don't forget the context is key. Thank you, guys. And I love your work. So keep it up. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Two kinds of flavor, two kinds of crunch. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.